Someone You Should Know, a program about people you know and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, good Wednesday morning to you this first Wednesday in August. Can't believe how this year is flying by. And I'll glad to have you with us for another edition of Someone You Should Know. And we are brought to you today by my good friend, and she's become our good friend now, Christine Dean, who is the DFW Networking Diva. She is a guru where, with everything regarding marketing, website development, now getting into podcast development and producing and all. There is nothing within the internet scope that Christine Dean is not aware of. And she can help you if you need her help. Reach out. It's free. Get a consultation. Have her look at your website and your marketing plan. And she'll tell you if it looks good, don't mess with it. If it needs a little tweaking here or that, she can help you and she'll do a extremely professional job. Love her to death. Thank you very, very much, Christine, for all that you do for this show and for, for everybody. Uh, today, we're going to be talking a little bit about that combination of teachers and parents and students, how they all blend together today. And my guest uh, has been involved in it for about the last seven years. Uh, and all she calls herself the grandmother on a mission because what she's trying to do is teaching families and students to manage their feelings and their thoughts and their actions and all. She's in California, but what she talks about can be absorbed anywhere else in the country. So I welcome to someone you should know, a very, very good friend and a very knowledgeable lady, Deb Kelly. Welcome to the show. Hello. Hey, how Deb, are how are you? I'm good, fantastic. Good to talk with you. <laughs> I am uh, <laughs> excited to be here. Excited to be here to share some ideas with your audience. Well, I'm just fascinated with what you do. And we had a, we had a, a, a little meeting earlier and all to kind of get to know each other. And I'm, and, I'm fascinated because uh, as, as a grandfather, you know, myself, uh, I have been through child rearing and now I'm watching my grandson grow up and, you know, things have changed, you know, over the last few decades <laughs> and I'm sure that you see it. And, 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 and I think that that's part of the reason that you decided to do what you do, which we can kind of encapsulize in what you call uh, the eight life ingredients. So I'm going to throw the stage out to you and I want you to tell everybody what you do and why you're doing it. Okay. Thank you, Stuart. Well, first of all, I am a grandmother on a mission and I have eight grandchildren. They range from 12 to 21. And when they started in uh, school, of course, I was very interested in being a part of that uh, experience with them. And uh, eventually, some of the kids, uh, I started doing uh, mindful classes with them, just, just you know, helping them become more calm, more relaxed. And we started in kindergarten. And uh, I kept saying to the teacher, wow, you do this every day. <laughs> because kids are more 
uh, activated. Uh, and particularly since I've noticed the shift, because I've been doing this program now for about seven years. And of course, there was a big shift after COVID. And I, I go into classrooms now, and there's much more um, anxiety and, and just a lot of distractions and behavioral issues and everything. So my program, I um, kind of went back and tweaked it after uh, and during COVID because what I was seeing is um, people were using these different social emotional programs because in this last decade, that's become a big uh, buzzword in education to get this empathy and kindness and all of those things. And like our education system often does, it gives you the uh, uh, subject matter, but it never really implements it. And that's what I was finding as I was going into schools and things that, you know, they would have that mindful minute, but everybody was wiggling around or the teacher wasn't attentive and that sort of thing. So in my program, what I've asked for the teachers is to do these classes with the kids as well as when I talk to parents. And um, I'll talk to you later about the parent program and how we're training parents to do this together with their kids. And so what happens is I put together eight life ingredients and it goes from thoughts. We let children know that thoughts are real. You know, I was like 35 before I ever heard the sentence, their thoughts are things. And I thought, oh my gosh, my thoughts are things. What does that mean exactly, you know? So in letting children know that in an early age, it starts to get them to become aware of their thinking. So we teach them that thoughts are things, they're real, they matter, they're not always matter. I mean, excuse me, they become matter, but they're not always true. And that's one of the keys to teaching children about thoughts is they think this mind chatter that's going on is always true. And once they start to recognize this, they, they say, oh, you know, and we don't use, they don't use the word discernment, but, you know, that's what they're learning, how to have discernment and to make better choices, as what we say. So that's the first one. Do you have any questions yet, or do you want me to go on? Keep, keep rolling. Okay. So what we do with thoughts then, because everybody has confusion. And of course, with COVID, we had so much uncertainty. And, you know, that trickled down into all the kids. So what we did is try to show them how to be calm. And the key to that is your breath, because when you breathe, you're changing your physiology, your physiology. What do I want to say? Your physical well-being. You're changing that, that breath with your breath. And when people start to know that, they start to go, oh, man, yeah, you're right. That does feel good. And then we go in and tell kids, you know, that your whole body is chemicals and your thoughts are chemical reactions. So if you're anxious and you're thinking about, oh, gosh, am I going to get in trouble when I get home? Your whole chemical response is a very nervous, very anxiety. And, you know, I'm not going to go in deep into the uh, fight or flight or freeze, but most people are aware of that now. But we do have a mode that we default into um, and just causes a lot of anxiety, keeps your heart pumping and your breath going really fast. So when kids start to recognize, wait a minute, I think I'm in that place right now. Then they take in this deep breath and we get a little dopamine, a little serotonin, and we are able to get a nice calm response with the kids. And it takes time. It's a practice. Life is a practice. And you know, at 72, I can tell you, I'm still practicing. <laughs> 
So once we get them to calm, this is mostly where meditation goes to. And when I realized that, you know, I'm a, I've been a meditator for a long time and my four kids started meditating in high school. Of course, you know, they kind of dropped out after a while, but they come and go. And what I realized with meditation is, is the calming effect, but often we don't get clarity. And so what we're trying to do is teach kids about becoming a little bit more clear. Because I don't know if you've ever been in a classroom, but kids will raise their hand and I'll go, oh, okay, Susie, what do you, what do you want to say? And she'll go like, um, 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 you know, because they're so excited in the moment and they're in their robotic behavior. They're, you know, like, oh, oh, yeah. But then they can't get into their conscious mind real quick. Like a disconnect. Uh, so, yeah, they disconnect. Absolutely. So, you know, we just keep telling them, be prepared when you're in um, clarity, you're doing things on purpose. Okay. So those three are very, very strong, um, uh, tools to give the children. And when we, after that, we get them to gratitude because if you study, um, gratitude scientifically, you realize that it elevates your state of being chemically. It, it raises you up the oxytocin, all the different, uh, chemicals come in and you begin to feel better about yourself. And what happens is it almost is like puts your body on a level playing field so that things can be come in. It's, it's a state of receivership. So like if you're saying, oh, you know, I really hope so-and-so uh, comes over today and, you know, visits and we have a nice visit and all of that sort of thing. And you, you put yourself in this grateful place or, you know, it's, oh, I, I want a truck or, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm not into that, you know, visualizing that kind of thing, sort of thing. But what I'm trying to say is when kids start to realize the value and respect of life, it puts their body in a calmer state where they can receive things and they're in a higher state of, of, of uh, elevation. They're uh, upregulating their, their chemicals and that sort of thing. So the body is like grabbing for things that are at a higher level where they feel more peaceful, they may feel more calm, or they might get like a like, wow, where did that come from? And they want to write a piece of music or something, you know? So you're literally elevating your state of being in gratitude. It's a powerful, powerful state. And I don't know that, you know, all of those gurus, gurus in the last 20 years on TV, this, oh, you know, get your journal and all that. I don't know that they really got that to people, that how powerful Gratitude is, it's a state of receivership and your whole body says, yeah, let's go to this, you know, better space. Um, and then after gratitude, we teach them guidance. And guidance is within all of us. It's a natural, natural intelligence. And for some reason, we kind of ignore that in uh, the education system. Uh, don't know why, but I think that it will eventually uh, unfold and start to realize that it's our intuitive and our instincts, and it's that knowingness, it's that gut feeling. Guidance is so important to understand and to practice. And what happens, like with gut feeling, we have biome, a microbiome in our body. That's that is our bacteria. You know, because oh, bacteria is bad. No, bacteria is really good. And I mean, there are certain parts of it that aren't. But the good bacteria is constantly messaging to the brain. And when that happens, the brain listens. 
And what happens is you get a gut feeling like, have you ever seen somebody walk by and you think, oh, I'd like to get to know them. Huh? And you get like a gut feeling that's your biome working. You know, it, it's like, oh yeah, that feels really good. I'd like to meet that person. And, and it's messaging to your brain that this is a safe and interesting being to, to visit with. Uh, you're ready for a test or a recital. Your biome is working. It's like, oh man, I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous. And if we can learn to get the kids down to calm, then the biome can work for them it's because they can do three things. They can take a breath. They can say, you know, I'm really grateful I'm taking this test right now because I'm feeling ready for it. I feel really calm. And you know what? I'm just going to make sure that my stomach and my heart and my mind are in a very calm space. You know, because your body, your stomach, your heart, and your brain all work together. You know, I, I'm, I'm curious because I, I'm following everything that you're saying. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking about how it was when I was a child and then how it was when I was raising my children. Um, one thing is in my head, I seem to see that there is a little bit more of a disconnect between the, the teaching community, the parent parental community and with the students uh, that they're not always on the same page. When we were growing up, it seemed like everybody had a specific job to do and they were a little bit better connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, and, you know, do you perceive that that's one of the reasons for having a program like yours is that that sometimes the right hand doesn't really know what the left hand is doing? Thank you so much for that question, Stuart, because that's actually what this program is built on. Because as uh, you know, I was a student in the 50s and you went to school and you had a leader of the class and there was usually one answer to everything. Um, And today we are a network of just bombarding the world with information. And most people are confused and that sort of thing. And, you know, like in my um, uh, grandkids high school right now, they have 18 teachers leaving. It's a tough call right now. And so what I kept looking at is how can I help these people create communication and relationships? And what happens is that if the teacher gets what I'm doing, because it's for her benefit, as well as the children's and the parents, is that they'll sit down together and they'll have this five to 10 minute conversation. There's actually, it's actually a video that they watch and they, they get calm and like sometimes days it'll be like, it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to, you know, have anxiety. You know, actually anxiety is an alert system that re- helps you to know that, gosh, something isn't right. What can we do to get that right? But we don't have to have a big anxiety monster behind us. Let's learn how to put it in our hand and take care of this anxiety. So teachers don't get taught that in college. They don't get taught these. So, you know, they're learning. And and one of the things that, you know, the the social emotional programs that are being taught in schools right now, you know, it's a big impact. They have to download a lot of stuff. My program, it's plug and play. 
you know, because what happens is life is a practice. So one day we learn about thoughts and their things and they matter. And sometimes we learn that, oh my gosh, when we talk so poorly to our brain and give it all this mind chatter, like I hate myself or, you know, oh, I'm so stupid or I'm not enough. My brain is just getting like, like wrung out and it's exhausted. And when we teach kids, your brain matters, it changes their thinking. They start to go like, Oh yeah, that's why my brain yeah, it does everything for me. What the heck? I should be nice to it. I should be kind to it. You know, we're not teaching things like that in school. You know, and and we we want to do that. Yeah. Well, and, and and also I I think too that that I I ha really hate to say this, but I believe it's true <laughs> that there is there is so much governmental involvement in the educational system. And, and and even political involvement today in, in the educational system, that what yeah. it's doing is it's not allowing the teachers to do what they were trained to do. And that was for them to analyze each of the children in the class and kind of determine who who can kind of fly on their own and who who needs some help. Sure. Uh, it's sure. it's like, you know, the, the they've got all of these other people looking over their shoulders. And when we went to school, the teacher was boss and you yes. listened to the teacher. And because yeah. the teacher was respected by the students yes. uh, and also by the parents, I think they did a better job in those days. Today, yeah. there's too much outside influence. Oh, you can't teach this. Uh, let's take this out of the curriculum and all. Yeah. And the teacher is, you know, wonder a lot of teachers are either relocating to other school districts where they can teach. It's a little bit difficult, and I can really see why there is such a need for, you know, the life ingredients program that you're, that you're talking about. And folks, again, we're scrolling the website across the, the screen, and I invite you to go in and check, check it out. There's a lot of valuable information there. And while Deb is located in California, the program that she is doing is something that can be utilized anywhere in the country. And mm -hmm. I think it can be adapted to almost any school district or school situation. And you just reach out to Deb and she'll, she'll take, take care of you on it. And it's lifeingredients.com. And to reach, reach her by email, it's simply Deb at lifeingredients.com. Makes yeah. it really kind of... Kind of, kind of easy. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you talk. One of the things you talk about is is the calm mind sessions, and and you talk about the use of storytelling and music and art, and how important these are. And let's face it, over the last decade or two, sometimes when there's when there's school financial issues. What are the first things they, they they throw away? They throw away the arts and they throw away all the extracurricular activities, the things that really get get children yeah. connected yeah. and all. And what has what has that done to to the program that you're that you're trying to to uh, reestablish really? Well, I you know, <clears throat> first of all, I want to speak about one thing about the education system and saying that you know, our, our teachers are really uh, totally underpaid and overworked and they're absolutely, yeah, really pressured to uh, perform on these tests. And here's my opinion. Um, our life and our government 
is our standard test. And it's not working. We are not sustainable with what we're doing. And when you look at, um, you know, we're failing in so many areas in our country and we need to understand that, you know, um, I think we have the capacity to make some big changes. And I really think that some of that's happening now as we're, you know, teachers are leaving um, and, you know, we have to come up with some new ideas, but um, the education system we have here is something we have to work with. And that's why I'm working so diligently to get this program in because it is a plug and play. The teacher doesn't spend hours figuring it all out. And, and what happens is, you know, like if the kids are having, I actually have teachers that'll say, you know, when the kids come in from reset, they want to do, or from recess, they want to do some life ingredients. And most everything's like, uh, the little kids, it's more like four minutes, but most of the things are five to seven minutes. And like we've created, like last night I was editing a song, we ca it was called Sail the Sky. And it's a beautiful song that a friend of mine from Ohio that I went to school with wrote. And it's very calming for the child. It's very relaxing. The visuals are beautiful. At the end, they're in space and they've got their space suit on, you know. We work really, um, a, a focus is imagination. Because if kids don't build their imagination, artificial intelligence, is, artificial intelligence will take us over because we have to expand our intelligence and our brains and our creativity. And um, there's a lot of robotic uh, experiences happening in schools today, you know, a certain routine, a certain way. I mean, we're all guilty of it. You get up, you have your coffee, you go to the bathroom, you get the same shoes on, you go out the door, you drive the same place. Um, but we have to build that awareness. And that's what this program is about, is becoming more conscious and schools don't like to use that word conscious. So we're gonna talk about paying attention. And here's the key. I, my life, because I was a mouthy person and creative in, uh, in school and all of that sort of thing, I would have teachers go, psst, psst, hey, pay attention, pay attention. <laughs> and I'd like, okay, you know, for two seconds, yeah. You know, then I'd be out the window thinking about something. But we don't teach kids how to pay attention. And, and that's the key to this program teaching kids to pay attention. Because once they learn like, oh, wait a minute, you know what, I'm kind of lost right now. I'm thinking about what's gonna happen this weekend, you know, but the teacher's saying something, I need to get back there. It's a practice once again, this isn't something that's gonna happen overnight. But once you teach people how to pay attention, we have an extraordinary little book that we wrote um, on observation. And it's these two little characters that are detectives and they go find the, uh, how to pay attention. And when kids read that, they're like, you know, I, I just didn't get that, you know, until now I, I, I get pay attention. It's the same when I told them that it's okay to be bored. And I, I would get letters and they say, I didn't know you could be bored. I thought you always had to be busy. I thought you always had to do things. And that's, you know, that's the, um, what I want to say, uh, the one-off or whatever you call it of our uh, uh, culture. You know, if you're not busy, then, you know, you feel guilty. I mean, people my age, they'll say, oh, I took a nap. I say, yeah, great. Well, oh, I should have been doing, you know, at 72, you can take a nap. 
you know. <laughs> so yeah. paying attention and all of those things. We we give them poems. We, we take them on um, journeys. We, they go out to space and they do that. So it's just building and building this, you know, ability to open their minds and expand their minds and to see things and hear things differently. And the, the one thing um, with schools, too, because a lot of teachers, you know, they want to have some kind of paper and pencil thing. So we do have what we call activators. And there's, you know, the kids can, you know, like, what emotion do you relate to? Or or maybe we draw pictures or, you know, whatever. Um, but because, you know, being in schools, we needed that little element, too. But there's nine modules. And they're, you know, they there's a book. and then And then after the book. There's five lessons that we pull out of the book, and this is all video. And then, you know, kids learn different ways, so we have another story to show them in a different way. Um, but most importantly, this, yes, this is for schools, but I also created this for parents because as a parent, um, I wasn't good at like, oh, let's all sit down, kids, now and read a book, you know? I'd be like, oh, let's go out and play football, you know? <laughs> so... But, but there's something about these videos that they're short and sweet, they're comfortable, and parents are kind of like, yeah, you know, we kind of sit down and watch one before dinner or, you know, a lot of them before, um, even before school. I have parents that say, you know, we'll watch before school because it gives them a good start to the day. Pre preps them know? for the day. Yeah, yeah. And the same at night. You know, it's a, it's a great place to relax the mind at night. And people will say to me, why did you choose to do it online? And I said, because that line's the future. <laughs> That's the face of the future. And we have to teach our children responsible use, good screen time. If we're, you know, say, buying them games, I'm the guilty of that. I bought my kids games and all that stuff. You know, but we have to show them good, good screen time. And we have to model good screen time, too. What you're saying about attention, you know, is, is very, very important because the the children are, you know, I mean, let's face it, today's generation spends so much, in my opinion, too much time in front of an iPad uh, or a computer screen or their phones, uh, and so they don't know how, that that attentive interaction with a human being. They know they have to listen to their teacher that when they're in school, but I don't think there's that connection when they're in school. Then as soon as they leave school, they go home. And that's where I think a little of that disconnect continues because the child goes into their own little world of, of their mm -hmm. iPad. And, yeah. and sometimes uh, at, at dinner, there isn't that connection. I mean, I remember every night when we sat down for dinner, the, the first thing my mom and dad would say is, so how did it go at school today? What yeah. did you do? And we yeah. would talk about some of the things we learned and how what we interacted with. Mm -hmm. And if it was history, what what lessons we learned. I'm not so sure that that's, there's that kind of conversation today. Because number one, the children don't, to, to my knowledge at least, the children don't have that much homework, anything. Everything else is done in school or on a screen. Uh, and, and it's just the, mod, the modern times and the modern techniques. But, I mean, I think, is it fair to say that that is part of the cause of the disconnect? And COVID forced that on us. Yeah, We were out of the, the kids were out of the classroom for almost two years. 
and they learned how to do everything virtually. Now yeah. that they're back in the classroom, they're still doing a lot of stuff virtually. Yeah. Um, you know, I watch my kids um, because I always thought it was important to sit down and have dinner, you know, with their kids. But my husband was a workaholic, so we didn't always sit down together at dinner either. And they had, you know, sports. And I see that uh, yep. tremendously in, in my grandchildren because they're all sports and athletes and, you know, sports minded and stuff. So, you know, dinner time may uh, just be on the road or, you know, really late in the evening, which I'm going to tell you, moms, don't feed your kids really late at night. It's hard for them to go to sleep. Their bodies are digesting food in their bodies. That takes all their energy and it keeps them up. And, you know, if you can give them a big lunch or, a, you know, a three o'clock meal and then just do a light thing for dinner. Um, that's my little sponsor notice <laughs> for moms. But um, here's, a, yeah. Yeah, here's a word from our sponsor. <laughs> yeah. So intentionally life ingredients was created to, to give parents a, um, a little excuse to sit down with their chill children because, you know, most heart to heart conversations happen in the car, you know, like the, kids, you know, we talk to their parents there and, um, it, it's important for us to sit down and, you know, sit in the front of the fire, or, you know, wherever it's comfortable to be and just have a few minutes every day if you can. And, and, you know, if it's once a month, at least you're getting something in there to those kids, because I'm going to tell you, this is what they'll remember. Now I have kids, my kids are going to be starting to be 50 next year. They're all in their forties now. And the things that they remember, it, it's it's the fun things, you know, it's the things that we came together. We, you know, we did, um, it, I don't know. I was, it, I, I'm always amazed that, you know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, I was the Girl Scout leader and blah, 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 and I did this and I did that or, you know, all that sort of thing. It's the funny stories and it's the, you know, like my family was very loud and very emotional and that sort of thing. And we would be battling at it, you know, and then like 15 minutes, we'd all be laughing. And my oldest daughter said to me, she goes, mom, in spite of the way that we were raised, we all came out pretty well. And well, I yeah. think it's because my husband was really a funny person. He, he would wake them up. Like this is in high school. He would do this. He had like a red lobster. I know this sounds really stupid, but you know, and he'd say, Oh, Larry, the lobster is up here. Ready to get you out of bed, you know, or he had a, he had a, um, a big, uh, wrench thing, you know, and it, it was like one of those kind of like a chain wrench or I forget what they call it, but a channel yeah. wrench, you know, and it would talk and, you know, um, my one daughter, we couldn't get her out of bed. So we put Carly Simon on, you know, attitude dance. And we had like at six o'clock in the morning, we're doing an attitude dance with her. You know, it, it was those kind of things. And that our back door was always open to kids, you know, and like one kid, he, he, I don't know what happened to him, but a chunk of his leg like came out. So we all were around the kitchen table, you know, like praying or I, I don't think I'm a prayer, but you know, but I say, let's put some energy in this kids, you know, we did outrageous things. And and most teachers in the world, and I'm talking about the big teachers, Buddha, Jesus, you know, all of those, they were outrageous beings. And we as parents, we have to look at that too. We have to be a little bit outrageous. You know, I would have parents call me all the time. And they say, are you going to be home? I go, yeah, I'll be home. You know, which we lived on 
I don't know, 30 acres and we had fields and, you know, we had parties and stuff like that. And my husband and I would be always walking in the woods and saying, okay, everybody vertical, you know, we <laughs> keep everybody going. So we're out there making it out in the woods, you know, and then, but we, we kind of lived through our children and yet there was some respect to it. And the coolest thing that ever happened to me, and if parents or grandparents are listening to this, I had a young man. Last, when, last summer, came out, visited us, uh, and we all grew up together, and his parents and our parents were friends and everything like that. And he looked at me and goes, how did you know to do what you did? And I go, I don't know, David. Everybody thought I was outrageous, you know? I was the mother that let my 16-year-old daughter quit school because I was afraid she was kind of going that drug route and all of that, and I thought, you know, she's either going to, I'm going to lose her or, or, and she was too strong to say, no, you can't do these things. And so I sat her down one day and I said, I think it's time for you to, to, to make some decisions. And because she was very deeply depressed and she goes, mom, people don't do that sort of thing. And I said, you'd be surprised how many people are millionaires and, you know, never went to college, you know? And I said, but just write down and tell me what you want to do for the next two years. And she came down after a couple hours and she goes, mom, I want to go to college. I said, great, go over it, make an appointment for your GED. She, be, she ended up getting her master's degree and she was a school counselor for an all boys Jesuit school for 13 years. You know, we have to trust that guidance system. You know, yeah. this is what we're trying to develop in the kids. And we parents have to come back to our childlike wonder. It's so important. And we're all caught up in, you know, I have this young couple that I work with and I love yeah. them dearly, but, you know, they, they want their kid to go to Harvard. And I go, why? I never wanted my kids to go to college. <laughs> and some of them did. And some of them didn't. And they're all extremely successful people. So those are my little yeah, backstories. That, that leads me in... in yeah, no, and that and that's important because it's those backstories that I think we need to 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 uh, impress upon the parents that are listening and watching this this show, and all. It's those backstories that you need to share with the, your 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 children because that's who they are and who they will become. And sharing those backstories helps them break out of that that mental shell and and start to like like you said to create on their own you talked about boredom before and sometimes sometimes boredom is is the stepping stone to creativity when you're Absolutely. bored your mind starts to think about what can i do and then you start to to realize maybe i'll do something musically maybe yeah. i'll maybe i'll construct something uh mm -hmm. And it can lead it can lead to that next great part of the person's life. It, um, Stuart, I want to just say something there. I, I am so with you about that. And one of the things that, um, because I'm a grandmother and I hear all kinds of stories about grandchildren and stuff, and you know how they're on medications or you know they're you know offline or whatever and that sort of right. thing. And, and uh, one particular friend I had, I said, you know. Have you thought of project-based education? And she goes, "Oh my gosh, yes. We just we just went and visited, but it's like thirty five thirty five thousand dollars a year." And I said, "Well, 
you know what? It's a good investment for a child rather than putting them on some sort of drugs and medications. And all I can say to the parents and grandparents that are out there, project-based, you know, those kids that, you know, they're hid in the closet or they're, you know, hiding with their um, games and doing stuff. Get them outside, build a fence, build a tree house, um, tear, tear apart a bike, put it back together. Remember when we were kids and I don't know, you're probably younger than I am, but you know, you, you used to make those scooters. You took roller skate wheels and you put scooters sure. together. I mean, think about all the things. Yeah. I spent hours playing in the river, you know, uh, it just, um, and, and we have to go back to more of those things. And one of the things that I was in, uh, Switzerland about 10 years ago and, the, the parents on the weekends, they all get on the trams, they take the kids up and they hike. Hiking is so wonderful for parents to, to get out there in the nature, you know. So we can come to project-based things, you know. Yeah, well, somebody, somebody once said, you know, to, to, to give a kid a book about birds is one thing. To take them out into the woods with a a, a a pair of binoculars and let them look at the birds in their natural habitat, it, it's a completely different perspective that they walk away with it, and it also yeah. ingrains something in them to have a better appreciation for nature rather than yeah. just seeing it on a screen or in in a book. You know, Absolutely. one thing I want I want to talk about here is that that we 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 talk about the, the kids and we've talked a little bit about the teachers and everything and and you are launching a program uh, about uh, with parents and i think you call it parenting yourself first yes and and i think that's an important program and i want you to expound a little bit about what you mean parenting yourself first yeah, well, as a mother, you have to look at your children and all of their cells came from you, you know, and the father, you know. And so you're looking at this little being and that's really like looking at a mirror of yourself. Mini me. And one, yeah, mini me, absolutely. And so what what you know we don't get a lot of instructions i, I can remember I, you know i was back when the hippy dippies had kids and you know we were um learning how to breastfeed and stuff like that you know it, it, mainstream didn't give you any of that stuff you know and it's right. it's pretty much i mean we have tons and tons and tons of books about parenting and that sort of thing but there's a part of me that says you you have to apply these things you know I never. I would read those books, and then I think, like, I'm not doing that. You know, making those chart. It would last two days at my house. I'm not making a chart like, go make your bed and do this and all that. You know, <laughs> just didn't work, work in our house. You know, but those were but, the charts that we had as kids. Yeah, exactly. And then, but to make my own bed, you know, might maybe would be a good thing. You know, and I don't even know I did that. You know, um, I, um, but. What I, I'm saying here is that we have to parent ourselves first. And what I mean by that is that, again, you have to go back to breathing and take a breath and like, what is the right thing to do here right now? What, what makes sense? You know, do I really take his phone away from him and make him sit in his room for two, two weeks? 
Or do we have a conversation like, honey, what, what made you think like that? You know, were you thinking, you know, were you, were you just caught up in the moment? And then I say, you know, I remember a time when I got caught up in the moment and I ended up going, you know, to the uh, principal because I threw a snowball when I shouldn't have, you know, and, and they're like, oh, my mom did something, you know, because they always have you up there on those pedestals. And I've always told my kids, don't put me on a pedestal, you know, just, you know. And another thing I'm going to tell you is I do not agree with that. You cannot be friends with your kids. For God's sakes, why would you not want to be friends with your kids? That is the craziest thing I ever heard of. We treat our teach our friends well. We respect our friends. We love our friends, you know. Right. And if you don't, then they're not your friends, you know. So be, treat yourself well, treat yourself kindly. You know, mothers have so much guilt and I want you to get over that. You're learning. How, how, how can you go from high school and then all of a sudden you're running a fam? I mean, you know, like you're the CEO of a household with all these people. That are, who trained you? Nobody in education did, you know? I mean, I learned how to sew in my classes and some cooking, but I don't think they do that anymore. So parenting yourself, be kind to yourself. Listen, remember your mind matters and what you think matters, but it may not always be true. And, you know, mothers love to talk and they talk about each other's kids and all of that stuff. Get the big picture. Don't make a decision on a group of women's conversation or a group of man, men's conversation, it is not always true. You have to be the outlier, you know? And I think that's what I was when I was a kid or a parent uh, raising kids because I always think, I don't know, that doesn't sound right. You know, they, you know, and if kids do things bad, oh my gosh, I have four children. I picked three of them up at jail at different times in their lives, at different times in their lives. And the last time I picked one up in jail, the detective said, I've never heard that before. And I said, gosh, this is the best thing that ever happened to this child. And it was because they became proactive because they knew that they were going to have a, you know, they happened to have a, a problem with alcohol and we have an Irish background, you know, sorry, Irish people, but we do have issues with alcohol, you know, uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it was people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe you can tell people that. And I say, I do, because people make mistakes, and there's wisdom in the state mistakes. I'm going to tell you another quick story. One of my sons, he bought a Jeep. He didn't think he had to buy insurance for it. We told him, well, you do, but he didn't think so. So he gets stopped, you know, and eventually he has to do community, community service. He drives to the community service. <laughs> and the guy goes, how'd you get here? He goes, I drove here. He goes, you're not supposed to be driving, you know? So he ends up getting in front of a, uh, a judge. He goes, mom, what do you think is going to happen to me? And I said, well, the best thing you should do is to figure out what are you going to do to pay back your stupidity? And um, we, he, wrote a, he wrote a letter to the judge and said that he would create an obstacle course for our local autism adult program. And the judge said, I want to see this. And it, he did it so well. He even went and talked to people across the country, like, how would you do this? And where would you get this? And all that, that our National Guard came and saw it and said, we could use this course. I, I know this is where we have to go, folks. 
you know, kids make mistakes, they're learning. They, you know, they've got their egos and they everything. And that's where I come back to parents, parenting yourself first. We make mistakes. You need to share that with yeah. your children and work together as a team. You know, I know I'm talking a lot here. <laughs> that's where that that's where that creativity aspect comes in. You're, you're absolutely right. Folks, lifeingredients.com. Check it out. Uh, Deb is launching a, a program for adults uh, uh, this this month, and you should you should learn a little bit more about it. Reach out to her if you have questions. She'd be more than happy to to address your questions and your concerns, no matter where in the country that you are, because what she's doing is not just for her community; it's for the broad, con you know, uh, 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 population. <laughs> well, yeah, you got you got people to go to now. Well, yeah. Okay. Okay. Nope. Uh, Let me well, just say one thing. This first I, class. Okay. Oh, the the class is about our thoughts, and we teach you how to use your thoughts. And it's a four week class, and that's where you begin that parenting yourself first, because you get to do, to understand your thoughts. Thank you so much. <laughs> to take take advantage of it, and I and I welcome you to for, to for all of you for being a part of someone you should know today. I always end my shows with a quote from Oscar Wilde. Be yourself because everyone else is already taken. I love and it. <laughs> certainly it's true of Deb Kelly. And I thank you very, very much for being my guest today. And you are someone we should know. Thank you very, oh. very much, Deb. Thanks, Stuart. It was my pleasure. I just enjoyed it so much. Thanks. I hope you have a another <laughs> okay. <laughs> That'll do it for another edition of Someone You Should Know. Join us again next week, 10 o'clock on Wednesday. Go out and make it a good day. Sorry. And thanks again, Deb Kelly. <laughs> Sorry, Stuart. Arf, arf, arf. Someone you should know. You should know.